Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hello, hello, and welcome to the nose. It's the end of the week, so we do the nose. That's how it works. Uh, and this week, you might have heard me say this before the news, but I'll repeat it. You know, typically sort of award nomination days, even the Academy Award nominations, I don't know, we're less and less interested in those, except we're interested this time, I think. The Golden Globe nominations came out this week. The Golden Globe Awards will be held on February 28th. They will be hosted by Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. That alone guarantees that I will watch it, Um, even even though I'm kind of less connected to a lot of the stuff. I mean, it's one of the things you'll hear me say maybe more than once, or maybe I'll just say it now. Like I don't typically have to look up what some of these things are. There, you know, on any in any given award season, there might be some things that I haven't seen. Although usually by the time the Academy Awards roll around, if there's ten Best Picture nominees, I've seen all ten of them. Um, it's unusual that I had to like look up what a lot of things are, and I attribute that to a the pandemic, b uh, the fact that our democracy was significantly challenged. And that became a somewhat more compelling and, and consequence-filled drama than, I don't know, the Golden Globes or things that I could see on television. Uh, and in the fact that I know I've just got stuff going on in my life, too, that is making it really hard to uh, make sure I see stuff. So anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk in the second segment about something called WandaVision. WandaVision is a, a melange of Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of comic booky stuff, but it's all smashed up against, uh, well, its parentage would include Pleasantville and The Truman Show, but it's also very specifically oriented towards, uh, in a very nostalgic manner, towards uh, sitcoms uh, of the past and dating back into the 1950s. And that may not have been an adequate explanation of one division, but I'm, I defy anybody else to do better. Anyway, it's just a hard thing to, we'll explain it all to you. Uh, all right. So, uh, on the panel today, we are very excited to have Tanisha Dugan, an artistic producer at TheaterWorks and Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. They both join us via Skype. So if we have any connection problems, blame Skype. Um, all right. So, so Tanisha, um, hey, hey, and Bill. Hey. hey, there's Bill. So, I mean, Tanisha, we're going to start with the Golden Globes. I think, you know, most of us agree that this is usually regarded as at best kind of an appetizer uh, that gets us you know, maybe towards some of the other awards shows. But people are also drinking at it. So that always makes it kind of interesting. Um, this year, there's some things going on. Well, why don't we take one of the bulls by the horns right now? I mean, as seems to be almost now priced into award season is kind of a sense that there are some very worthy productions that feature all black ensemble casts or uh, black auteurs and stuff that they just don't seem I and mean, they seem to be among the notable omissions sometimes referred to as snubs. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it always happens, right? I think one of the major ones is um, I May Destroy You, right? I mean, I think that was both uh, critically and and you know, sort of popularly uh, popular. Ooh, girl, we'll be working on these words today. 
I um I you know I think that that this is sort of classic um for the Hollywood Foreign Press. Um, I think we were hoping that something would be different, but we all know this is like deep, right? It's deeper than culture is deep. And so Mm -hmm. will it change in the, in the near future? Who knows? I think I, I, my, I suspect that, uh, black culture makers are tired of having, of, of banging on the walls and being like, Hey, 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 when are you going to see this work? Uh, and I think the times that we're living in both pre COVID and then sort of solidified during COVID has always had us sort of aiming our eyes towards the thing that felt the most like us. Uh, and I think COVID has just contracted that even more. And I, and I think we're seeing that on a critical level, right. Um, more so than, than maybe we have in the past or perhaps seeing it um, with a little more um, clarity um, than we might have from before. But you know, the Golden Globes to me is always more about the drinking at the table and will somebody say something outrageous when they accept their award? (laughs) And what outrageous things will the people be wearing? Um, That's the kind of, you know, content when it comes to the Golden Globes that I'm most interested in. What are you gonna wear? You know, I like the fluffy stuff about it. and they, they they actively court disaster by having people like Ricky Gervais as host or uh, Polar uh, and Faye. You know, these are people who are a little bit untamable and may say things that make everybody uncomfortable. So, yeah, I like that. You know, Bill, um, I want to come back to I May Destroy You because I, I think that uh, I would dispute one thing that, that Tanisha said. But to me, as I rack my brain for the most artistically successful thing I saw all year, and I saw fewer things than usual, my Rainey's Black Bottom is probably the thing that I would choose. Uh, and and Chadwick Boseman got nominated, and, and so did Viola Davis. But the thing, it's the movie itself, I think, is not nominated as a best film. Uh, I'm, I don't think the director is nominated. Um, I, I don't know. What's your take on all this, Bill? Well, I had my own versions of those kind of complaints. And, you know, I think that with these types of awards, there's always going to be a certain amount of carping, you know, because there will be things that people really, really liked that just don't get mentioned. But there does seem to be a pattern there. You and Tanisha both mentioned um, I may destroy you. You mentioned uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I had my own versions of that. Um, Regina King did get nominated for Best Director for One Night in Miami, which I think is just terrific. But it, she was the only person who got nominated for Best Director whose film did not mm-hmm. get nominated for Best Film. So that's like a noticeable kind of glaring little thing there that makes you go, hmm. And then I had my own version, which is, um, where is Spike Lee? Mm -hmm. I think that The Five Bloods is Mm -hmm. going to historically be considered one of his best films. It's not an easy film to watch, but I think it's an important film in some ways. It didn't get any nods at all. Zero. Bupkiss. And I'm thinking, like, not even Delroy, Delroy Lindo, who is, like, really, really terrific in it. Um, I guess th- there was one with um, uh, Leslie Odom uh, Jr. Um, that, uh, you know, and his song for it also, which I think is just, just great, appeared. But other than that, that was shut out as well. So, you know... <laughs> 
there does seem to kind of be a pattern here, which I think has to do something with the insular nation, uh, the the insular uh, nature of the organization itself. And some things just aren't aren't for everybody, right? I think that's like when I say like I think we there might be an exhaustion on black black artists to beat down the doors of these things of course spike is snubbed right spike has been snubbed forever spike finally got his oscar last year for a a film that i think we all are like yes sure but is that like the pinnacle of what spike has offered the canon of american film no so i i think what we're facing is is an internal truth that there are things for some people and there are things for other people and hopefully we get to a place where the things are equated, right? The NAACP Image Awards becomes equated to the Golden Globes and while segregated, at least uh, recognizes the work that's meant for the people that it's built for. Um, I also want to just shout out to the fact that a lot of these these movies were once plays, One Night in Miami, um, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm. um, George C. Wolf as as really a theater director, um, Regina King, you know, of course, coming out of a theater uh, background. Um, in my like quote unquote hybrid world, this all feels um, mo- the multi platform nature of where we're going as an industry excites me, um, and I'm excited that these stories are getting in front of wider audiences that you know may not have typically seen it if they had to wait for their local theater or the price of a ticket to Broadway. Um, but but I but I, I I'm like, yes, the Golden Globes is whitewashed. Mm-hmm. And what? <laughs> right? Like, like, are we gonna continue to like harp on that reality or let them be who they are? And when work like the United States versus Billy Holiday sort of appears, um, we say, cool. Right. Andra Andra Day did get nominated for Best Actress in in her category for that. The one thing that I would say, and I want to make sure that I understand what what you're saying, Tanisha, but I think at one point you said, you know, not all of this is made for everybody or, or, I mean, one of the things uh, with I May Destroy You, actually, I May Destroy You, I I got curious about that today. it has had actually a pretty tiny audience, um, it, it, at least in terms of people watching at the time of air date. Uh, there were like 200,000 people watching uh, for the first couple of episodes. That dropped as low as is in the 80,000s. So, I mean, I think people, like I watched it, uh, but then I, you know, host this show. <laughs> so um, I, I feel like some of these things are maybe they get crowded out simply because they, they don't really have, they don't kind of cross over into the kind of audience that the foreign press association or whatever the hell they're called uh, would sort of notice. Um, but that leads me to the other thing I wanted to ask both of you about, which is, as I said, going into this, I've never had to sit down there and look up so much stuff, you know? <laughs> I mean, the, like the first film on their list is The Father. I had to look up what The Father was. It's Anthony Hopkins, and it's kind of a dementia movie. Um, I had to look up what music uh, is. Like, I know what music is, but this is like a SIA video on demand thing that's in best motion picture, musical, or comedy. I had to look up what Palm Springs uh, was. I didn't know what that was. And and on and on. The Mauritanian, I was kind of not really aware of. Bill's been reading up on Jodie Foster's role in it. Pieces of a Woman. I know who Vanessa Kirby is, but I didn't really know what that movie is. Uh, I mean, I can keep going. French Exit. I care a lot. I didn't know what these movies these movies are, and they're nominated for awards. And Bill, I I, I don't know. It might just be me, but I sort of feel like 
the way that we kind of acquire knowledge of movies is kind of handicapped this year. I don't think it's just you, um, but it was me too, <laughs> uh, to, to coin a phrase. Um, so I, is it just people like you and me? Because, you know, you and I have some commonalities in terms of demographics, in terms of cultural interests and, you know, that that sort of thing. But I had much the same kind of reaction, particularly to the film list where, you know, I had only seen a couple of them. And just like you, some of the titles I thought, oh, like, haven't heard of that before or oh i've sort of heard of that but has that even been released yet so i had that kind of nebulosity about it as as well not so much with the with the tv nominations i was more familiar with the tv nominations than i was with the film nominations and i i didn't know if that said something about me during the pandemic and whether i've just kind of like gravitated more toward TV series and limited series because of the way I'm watching these things now. I, I don't know. I don't know if this had been not the pandemic year plus whether I might've been more familiar with some of the um, films as well. Yeah. I, you know, I, Tanisha, I wonder about that too, that one of the things people were looking for maybe were kind of long runs, you know, something you could watch at least six episodes of as you sort of, you know, hunkered down in your bunker. Maybe that's. Yeah. For me, Bill's, that was definitely yeah. part of like what made me choose something. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, this is pretty normal for me that I have a lot of questions marks around the films and really sort of have engaged with the television um, picks. Uh, I think there's something to be said about, yes, I think people in general are attracted to television or to episodic um, stories at this point. But I think there's something about like being in life with people and letting movies sort of spread out within the, the zeitgeist, not that you have to find it, but that you happen to be talking to somebody and they're like, oh, I saw this movie, you should check it out. And I just think those opportunities are really limited. So our our ability mm. to sort of hear about movies, I think that we may not have find on our own is just really limited at this point. Um, it, it's funny, you know, when, when these nominations came out, uh, since you know, my, my son is six years old. So since he was about four years old, we've been playing the parlor game of like what animated um, movie D mm -hmm. do you know and which one do you think will will win? And this is actually the first year where he has seen every single wow. one of them. Wow. <laughs> I was like, uh, and I don't know what, what that, I mean, even, you know, Over the Moon, which I think is, feels a little, I mean, I don't know if every kid has seen that that uh, animated film. But I think there's something about just having this plethora of time in which there is an opportunity to um, find content. And because he is six and he is wired to look for everything, you know, all the time, I think he's coming in contact with stuff that I would want, maybe because I'm a Luddite, I'd want a human being to make the recommendation, you know, before I sink the two hours. Well, I, I'm also, as you say that, I'm also realizing, and for, this is just true for me, I don't know if it's true for everybody else. Once I decide that I'm going to, like, when I'm in the rhythm of seeing movies in movie theaters, 
and I, around awards time, I often really make an effort to catch up on anything that I've missed. Like I sort of know how to go see a movie, you know, and, and but I don't know what like if I probably want to watch Nomadland, but I don't know if it's as Bill was saying, is it released yet? Well, where is it released? How would I find Nomadland? And, and it's it's kind of that for every single movie. It's like, do I have to get Disney Plus this? Well, what do I have to get? You know, exactly, exactly. It's a lot of effort to find movies these days. You can't just go to the favorite place and go, which one is playing around seven o'clock? Cause that's when I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I had one experience. I, uh, is it uh, a promising young woman? Yep. Is that the correct title? I believe that. Um, yep. Lori and I actually were going to watch that. And like, I was trying to figure out how we could watch it. And then I think I figured out like, yeah, like it's being it's out there, but it's not available yet. And then maybe when I went back to it, I had to pay somehow like $19 for it. And I, you know, maybe I'm revealing something about myself here. I kind of balked at doing that, even though I would have paid that if the two of us had gone out to the movie theater to see it. But, you know, with all this free stuff that you can get on your TV, that kind of made me go, uh, maybe not tonight, which, you know, maybe I've just revealed more about myself in that statement than about the Golden Globes or. No, I think you've revealed that there's, there's sort of a psychological threshold. Like, you know, I kind of expect to get ripped off at the movie theaters. Like I'm just going to wind up buying some popcorn. That's ridiculous. You know, whereas I think you do maybe, I wouldn't say bargain hunt exactly, but I I think people as they're looking around for stuff. And as you say, there's stuff that's free. There's stuff that, I mean, one of the movies, the movie I'm going to mention in in the recommendations and endorsements at the end, I watched for (laughs) $3.99. (laughs) <laughs> which is different than 20. So, yeah, I think people do sort of comparison shop a little bit. Hey, we have to take a break right here. We're going to come back and talk WandaVision. So, Tanisha and Bill, they're not going anywhere. Meanwhile, we're going to ask you to support this show. It's the last day of the Pledge Drive. So, support the show, support the station, all that kind of stuff. People ask you, uh, say yes. Just please say yes. And say yes during our hour. It's kind of a good thing for us if you do that. Hi, we're back. I hope you did uh, think about making a pledge. Meanwhile, since the time we've gone on the air, the news is broken that Christopher Plummer uh, has died uh, at the age of, I believe, 91. Um, And so it's been a very weird week or week or two for nonagenarian actors. Uh, I mean, we just sort of lost a whole series of them, uh, four by my count, in a very short amount of time this week. Of course, it was Christopher Plummer and Hal Holbrook, uh, you know, Cloris Leachman, Cecily Tyson. I mean, this is, you know, they're going to be a long tribute on the Golden Globes. Anyway, we're not talking about the Golden Globes anymore. Uh, We are talking instead uh, about this series that we have watched on Disney Plus. It's called WandaVision. There are five episodes now available. Um, it uh, stars Elizabeth Olsen uh, and Paul Bettany as um, a typical American married couple, except one of them is a superpowered witch and the other one is a robot. Or he's not really a robot. He's like an artificial intelligence kind of thing. Um, and 
<laughs> that sounded very dismissive. I should say that our panelists today are Tanisha Dugan, uh, artistic uh, producer at Theater Works, uh, Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Uh, WandaVision is a planned nine-part miniseries. Uh, it is considered to be, I believe, the first release of whatever is called the fourth wave of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the post-Endgame wave. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. And I'm a big fan of this kind of stuff, and I still don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but we've got a little clip here. Uh, this is from episode one. Uh, you're going to hear some banter, uh, I believe, between uh, between Wanda, played by Elizabeth Olsen, Wanda Maximoff. She is the Scarlet Witch from the old comic books, uh, and Vision, played by Paul Bettany. Uh, and uh, this is episode one, filmed before a live studio audience. So all of these things, I should say, before Cat plays this, are they are couched very much in the tropes and visual style of various um, domestic sitcoms dating back, so starting sometime maybe in the late 50s. And with each successive iteration, uh, you get uh, a closer to the present, uh, like uh, roughly about eight to 10 years at a time. Anyway, here we go. My wife had a flying saucers. My husband and his indestructible head. Aren't we a fine pair? <laughs> what do you say to silver dollar pancakes, crispy hash browns, bacon, eggs, freshly squeezed orange juice, and black coffee? I say, oh, I don't eat food. Well, that explains the empty refrigerator. <laughs> Wonder, hmm. is there something special about today? Well, I know the apron is a bit much, dear, but I am doing my best to blend in. No, no, there on the calendar, someone's drawn a little hard right above today's day. Oh, yes, the heart. Hmm. Well, don't tell me you have forgotten, Viz. Forgotten? I wonder, I'm incapable of forgetfulness. I remember everything. That's not an exaggeration. In fact, I'm incapable of exaggeration. Well, then tell me what's so important about today's date. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that's WandaVision. Uh, Bill Usman, maybe you get us started here. Uh, I think, you know, we all reacted somewhat similarly but somewhat differently to this series. What was your overall take on it? Well, I really like it a lot. Um, but as I said in the emails we were all exchanging, of course I do because it was kind of in some ways me me i grew up watching all of these sitcoms that they're referencing uh the dick van dyke show in fact the the opening moments of episode one is a direct play on the original dick van dyke show the house is exactly the same uh vision comes into the house and where in the old dick van dyke show he would stumble over this ottoman uh vision phases through it but these are direct call outs and then bewitched you know with the wife with the magical powers um so i grew up watching those tv shows and i think they are doing a really marvelous job of calling back to them aesthetically um in terms of the look the sound the the setups though they're they're really i think kind of nailing them perfectly and then I also grew up reading Marvel comic books and um, uh, I'm a fan of the Marvel comic of the Marvel cinematic universe as well. And I've always thought uh, reading the comic books that Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, 
and the vision. He's a synthesoid, by the way, Colin, okay. not so a sorry, robot. So sorry, so sorry. Uh, and if I offended um, any other th synthesoids out there, I also truly apologize. Um, Don't cancel so me. I always thought they were two of the most fascinating <laughs> characters in Marvel comic books, and they did fall in love in the comic books, and they do get married, and then something happens where I won't reveal anymore just in case people haven't seen any of this yet, but it went down really, really easy for me. I think it's a lot of fun and I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I, I would say one thing that we can reveal, first of all, one thing that I would say is you really need to watch all of the episodes that are available right now, which is five episodes. They're not super long. Uh, and uh, I mean, in order to grasp this, to understand really what's happening, uh, if you were to watch the th first three episodes and stop, you I mean, it's almost fair to say you would have no idea <laughs> why they are doing what they are doing and what this series is about or anything. Uh, and when you get to five, uh, for me anyway, I thought, oh, there's an actual there there. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll do the last four with, uh, with pleasure. So, uh, so Tanisha, how about you? How's this going for you? So I am not uh, Bill in the sense that I am not a rabid Marvel fanatic. Um, I sort of touch upon it here and there because my dad actually loves the Marvel. And uh, he had two daughters before he had a son. So he took us all. <laughs> like, he engaged us with uh, as much as he could. Uh, the Marvel world. Um, so I actually came at it with, came at it without um, a lot of background information and I still liked it. And maybe um, I will reveal, I did sort of read an article about WandaVision, which piqued my interest about watching it. Um, and as I said to these guys, this was one of the first times where I had already seen um, the work before we had sort of started engaging with each other about it. Um, and I was interested, I think because I'm a mom and there was something about what this one, the darkness that is inherent in Wanda's story and this idea that, that she may be trying to craft something for herself um, that was a little more perfect than what reality had handed her. Uh, and I just, I, I, I got into it and I got into it, you know, when the first, I think by the time I started watching it, three of the five episodes had come up. So I only had the context of these of these three sort of popped into a decade sitcom style um, shows, and I and I kind of loved it, and I loved the sort of wait something something's being revealed to me um, in this moment of color, something being revealed to me by this strange character, and perhaps Lovecraft Country had a little bit to do with my willingness to sort of ride out what it was about because uh, Lovecraft Country to me really <laughs> requires you to sort of strap in for the ride and wait and wait to see what happens. So I'm a fan. Mm. I, I, I dig it. And I think it's I, I absolutely think it's like the perfect allegory for this time. I, I just wanted to make a little yellow highlighter mark on what the thing that you said about how it might be her. Wanda's attempt to make a, a more perfect world than the one that she's actually living in. Because I, I think that really gets at part of the real beating heart of this thing. I mean, it, if in fact it's it, it turns out to be really smart and, and maybe even borderline brilliant, which I think is a possibility. I, I would not have said that after three episodes. Um, I'm not a big nostalgia fan, stuff like that. But I mean, it's it's partly because of that, right, that we use television 
to dream, you know, at times. We used to use movies to dream, but I think we use television to dream these days, and, and or at least to sort of see a world that we th- we could imagine living in, you know, and living, as you say, Tanisha, maybe a, a better life than the one that we're living now. And certainly those relentlessly sunny, upbeat, sexless, you know, um, uh, early domestic sitcoms were very much engineered to be exactly that. And it just takes a while for us to, I think, fully understand why it might be the case that we're finding this. And so, Bill, I'm going to turn to you and you can really put your professor of media studies hat on here because there's a way in which, as I was suggesting to you earlier, this is multiculturalism on steroids, you know, I mean, it really, (laughs) in the sense of the clashing of tones, this kind of melange and and layering of different sensibilities and styles, and nothing is completely fish or foul, uh, nothing is completely uh, comic or dramatic, uh, but everything kind of indulges every possible uh, every possible possibility, uh, and and there's just constant points of reference to other things in the past. Um, and, And and the, the only question I have of it, as you know, is does it do too much of that? You know, is it too uh, – I, I get that, that this is a feature, not a bug of multiculturalism. But my argument would be if there's going to be a problem, it's going to be that they never really let go of that very specific tone that infuses the Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe and let this turn out to be a work uh, about how we use popular culture to deal with very, very powerful and often dark emotions. Yeah. um, In our emails, you said that kind of what bothered you about it the most was those little interactions between the organization is called S.W.O.R.D. and the FBI agents. And they feel like it has to be like a lot of banter and wisecracking and jokes, which is, of course, always kind of part of what's going on with Marvel, you know, because Tony Stark does that. And of course, the Guardians of the Galaxy took it to a whole nother level. But for you, if I'm if I'm not, you know, misrepresenting your point that that sort of distracted from this larger, darker, maybe even a little deeper thing that they're trying to do. And, and I agree with that. I, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you because I feel like the rest of it holds up so well, but that is, you know, kind of like, uh, out of the texture of the rest of it. And you use the term postmodern. It very much is like a postmodern aesthetic, you know, of pastiche. And we're, we're grabbing from here and we're grabbing from there. And, you know, dare I say bricolage, uh, which is the term that we talk about in cultural studies. I probably mangled how it's pronounced. I usually will just write it on the board and let people figure it out for themselves. <laughs> but, um, you know, but, but just this whole sense of, you know, well, we're going to grab from 50s TV and we're gra- going to grab from 60s TV and then we're going to put in this dark science fiction aesthetic and then we're going to get to some some themes of loss and grieving which are i i agree the most powerful aspects of that um there is a lot there's a lot going on but that was okay with me i was okay with going on that rapid ride down the river with wherever they were going with it and i also agree with you that when we get to episode five boy it really does really come alive with those darker, better aspects of it. 
Um, maybe the critique is it shouldn't have taken more than halfway through the series to, to get to that. So I could get with that as a critique, but I'm also really looking forward to seeing where they go from that um, really pivotal episode. And that will determine, I think, ultimately the success of it as a, as a piece of, you know, popular culture art is what do they do with these next four episodes? You know, one thing I would like to say, and I'd like to, yeah, Tanisha, go ahead, go ahead. I think we're really stepping into the age of the millennial creator, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think the things that you guys are talking Mm -hmm. about, right, this sort of multiculturalism, but also this mashup, you know, really comes from, and I am a millennial uh, creator, and I think, you know, I'm no longer the youngest person in the room, and I think I'm really stepping into like, oh, I, uh, I oh crap! I am. The it wouldn't baker. be a Tanisha <laughs> appearance if Cat didn't have to bleep something. <laughs> I love I, it. I, I, am, I am like the head, the head maker, right? And and I think you know all of these references, right? Cassavetti, Scorsese, Michael Bay, Norman Lear. I'm thinking Quincy Jones. I'm thinking you know the sort of everlasting impression of the you know the Buna Murray kind of uh world of TV you're I think we're now seeing a proliferation of the millennial showrunner and it does feel like this and I think it is it is taking all of the things that we consumed and also found in the digital age that inspire us and putting them into narrative form in this case um and and that is it, it doesn't surprise me, right, to hear Colin say, I don't know where, how, where, like, where is this thing going? Um, because it's as much about a visual display before it gets to the point than it is about sort of long form understanding of, you know, Wanda's psychological backstory, right? Like both of those things are at play and that feels like sort of quintessential millennial creator, Um and, and I mean, maybe that's also why I, I, I'm I can step into it in a really open way because I'm like, oh, I get I get these storytellers. I get why they both jazzed on Marvel as a thing and also why they chose this route to, to guide us down this path of this story. I just want to say one thing about this, which is that um, this. This requires, because in fact the characters have to at times in, inhabit multiple emotional spaces uh, at the same time, this requires, I think, really good performers. And, you know, I first saw Elizabeth Olsen in this weird indie movie called Martha Marcy May Marlene. I think I have the names right. But yeah, it was about a woman, young woman. And she's just, I thought, who is this person? I didn't really know anything about the Olsen twins or anything like that. But I thought, <laughs> who is this person? She's really, this is an amazing performance. And she's beautiful, too. But, I mean, it's just an incredible performance. And, and and here to do this, you know, to get all the way to episode five, and 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 I went back and even looked at some other stuff to see how well some of some of it was set up. And I think you know, Bettany's just a terrific actor, and she's a terrific actor. And they're using people like Catherine Hahn in a much more kind mm-hmm. of stylized way. I mean, Catherine Hahn is wonderful uh, in my eyes, anyway. But uh, you know, Bill, I mean, I really do think with lesser performers. This is this would be a bigger lift than than it currently is. Completely agree. I like all of those actors so much, um, and they're they're really doing such a great job with the specific things that they've been tasked to do. I'm also a big Elizabeth Olsen fan, um, and 
you know, it would be too easy to dismiss this as, you know, oh, just another one of those superhero things. Um, but I, I don't, you know, because of how well crafted it is in the writing, in the direction, in the aesthetics and in the performances, I, I don't, I don't think it's easily dismissible. We should also shout out uh, Tayana Paris as, uh, Monica Rambo, uh, who has to really kind of straddle these worlds. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To her sisters, because we know the next decade is the 90s. And so I feel like it has to have a full house reference because how else can we get through this show with an Olsen sister without a reference to one of the most famous television twins of all time? So I'm looking forward to episode Mm -hmm. Just the, yeah, maybe, well, maybe they've already kind of done it. Anyway, we should take a quick break here so uh, our panelists will have time to recommend uh, a thing or two to you on the other side. All right, we're back. Uh, time for me to say uh, some thank yous and hand out some credit and stuff like that. So Kat Pastor, who's there in the studio as technical producer, and also you might have noticed on the air now more during the pledge drive than, I don't know, Mary Louise Kelly is at this point. Uh, so she's uh, been pulling some long shifts here and done some terrific work for us in, in multiple respects. Uh, Jonathan McPants is the producer of this particular episode and of pretty much all news episodes. So thanks to both of you. Now time to go back to Bill Usman and Tanisha Dugan uh, to make some a recommendation. To, uh, Tanisha, why don't you lead off for us? So this actually popped into my mind uh, with you talking about the losses that we've experienced this year. So I'm going to first endorse a bop that went viral, depending on where your uh, your centers of interest are. And so it's a song called Earth is Ghetto, right? Earth is ghetto. I want to leave. And I feel like all of these people, Christopher Plummer, Cicely Tyson, are like, time to get off this rock and find a new place uh, to go. Uh, so... Check out that song. It's by Aaliyah Sheffield, Earth is Ghetto. And then I'm also going to recommend two people and two books. Um, Sonia Renee Taylor, um, The Body is Not an Apology. Uh, She's a thinker that I've been uh, spending some time with lately um, as we sort of engage with what's next. Um, And Adrienne Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy. Those are sort of my homework reads for for my uh, public television, public radio folks. Okay. There's a, it all sounds great. And thanks for that. And thanks for the spontaneous song fest there too. Uh, Bill Usman, what have you got for us? Well, my first recommendation is actually a plea. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. My recommendation is no Super Bowl parties. Please, please, please just, you know, don't go to big gatherings. Let's just get through this. We can't afford another post-holiday surge, um, so just kind of stay home. Um, but that's me talking as a dad. <laughs> so my other recommendation, I'll call back to our earlier conversation about the gold, Golden Globes and something that I mentioned I thought was overlooked um, was for best uh, drama, One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King, who did get a nomination. I think it's really terrific. It's based on a 2013 stage play by Kent Powers. Uh, 
Muhammad Ali, still at that point known as Cassius Clay, has just beaten Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship. He and uh, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown and Malcolm X gather together in a motel room. I guess it's based on a real incident, although we don't know what they actually talked about. But it's a complex story about confronting one another, about our responsibilities. I think it's got marvelous performances, particularly Leslie Odom Jr., who I don't think it's an easy task to to try to play Sam Cooke, never mind try to sing uh, like Sam Cooke. But if anybody could. So a little mini recommendation is uh, his fantastic original song at the end of the film called Speak Now, which is, I think, just a glorious, gorgeous song. Check it out. I'm not going to try to sing it like Tanisha did because you don't want to hear that. All right. Uh, so real quickly, uh, just apropos of the Golden Globes. Also, um, one of the big nominations this year is going to be Nomadland by Chloe Zhao. Uh, I recommend The Rider, her 2017 American contemporary Western drama uh, about a, a, a Bronco rider. Uh, it takes place in the South Dakota Badlands. Uh, you're looking at people who don't have a lot of money, uh, but uh, live in a very interesting landscape. I, I don't want to say too much about it. It stars like real people. It's a fictional thing that's, for the most part, stars people who are actually living those lives. Uh, and it's very beautiful, too, in a very sad way, the writer. And then also nominated for Golden Globe, The Flight Attendant on HBO. This is probably the most obscure thing that I've watched. It's not that obscure, but uh, it's really a good, dark, funny, crazy, weird, uh, hedonistic thing. Uh, it stars uh, Kaylee Cuoco, who I have no relationship with, but, but I'm supposed to know who she was. Uh, but she's terrific. It's on HBO Max, uh, and it's a lot of fun, and you'll watch all the episodes. All right. Thanks very much to Tanisha Dugan uh, and to Bill Usman. We got to go. Uh, please donate to these people who are asking you. Probably Cat again. Bless my homeland for